Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson. I am an author, yoga teacher, healer, social worker, dismantling racism trainer, activist, and grief worker. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times and to remind us about the resilience and joy that comes from allowing ourselves to find refuge. Hello friends, welcome to the final episode of Finding Refuge. I know, you've been waiting for this episode for quite some time. The truth is, I was having a lot of trouble trying to figure out what to say and what to offer And um, as you listen to this episode, it's likely you'll hear why I was having some trouble figuring out what to say and what to offer. I want to take a moment to thank all of you for supporting the podcast, sharing it with your friends, listening to it, sending sweet love notes my way about how this podcast has affected you over the last almost year. And I'm really appreciative that I've been able to interview so many amazing folks and bring different voices into the space. I'm grateful we've been able to talk about grief and love and resilience and honeybees and magic and intuition and all the things, really. So yesterday I was talking to Tristan, who some of you all know is my like thought partner, comrade, friend. Um, awesome human on the planet doing really amazing work. And Tristan offered to interview me for the final episode. I can talk and I can share many things, but I find that when I'm interviewed and we're in conversation, it's much easier for um, things to come out and for things that I wasn't even aware I was holding or feeling or thinking to come out. So thank you, Tristan. Thank you for carving out some time to interview me for this final episode of Finding Refuge. So for this episode, Tristan interviews me about grief, about COVID-19, about cultural and collective trauma, many of the themes highlighted in my book, Finding Refuge, Heartwork for Healing Collective Grief. Something I've been noticing is that, you know, finding refuge is new, And while there's been some buzz about it for a while, um, I know that it's not popular for people to sit around and talk about grief or to even just be in their grief and acknowledge it. And as I'm creating new offerings for finding refuge, I notice that, you know, not as many people are signing up and I don't do this work based on who's signing up. I do the work because it's the work I'm meant to do, but I've noticed, okay, I wonder if bridging into a conversation about grief and holding it so that we can get free and be free if this transition will be challenging. This is, of course, coupled with the transition we are all experiencing related to COVID-19. So 600 people are still dying each day, but in large part, um, many folks have been vaccinated and the mask restrictions have been lifted in many spaces and People are um, acting as if COVID is over. Now, I don't know if COVID is over or not. 
Um, what I do know is that we've just all been through something horrific. And my fear, and I speak to this in this episode with Tristan, my fear is that we might bypass um, what we need to focus on and like the aftermath of COVID-19 and the multiple pandemics that have been present, that we might bypass what needs attention in the um, name of going back to to normal. I don't know what normal is. I don't know what it um, was prior to this. I do know that COVID-19 disrupted our lives, everyone's lives, in profound and potent ways. And I feel like we have a real opportunity to, as I always say, acknowledge what we've been through. Acknowledge that we have all been through something that significantly changed our lives and to talk about it, to be with it, to grieve through it, to move through it. My fear is that if we do not take time to honor our grief and what we've been through, this collective experience of cultural trauma and of people showing up, of of cultural resilience, my fear is that if we don't take time to pause and process that um, we'll replicate something that feels normal to some and continues to feel harmful to others. And that will recreate the same patterns many of us have been fighting for a long time, fighting to dismantle and disrupt. So this episode is all about how we might connect with our grief. And I invite you to listen to this episode and see what resonates. I'd love to hear your thoughts, your feelings. I also invite you to join me for a Finding Refuge offering. I have many coming up in early June um, I'll be at Eight Limbs Yoga teaching skill in action and teaching about finding refuge based on the teachings from the Bhagavad Gita, but also finding refuge based on my, my book that's coming out where we will talk about grief and liberation and how we hold our grief and how we engage spiritual practice to support us in holding our grief and allowing us to find liberation and create conditions for liberation for all. I also have some offerings coming up at Wild Lotus in New Orleans. Um, So these offerings I'm naming are are virtual, of course, but these are two spaces that I've been to before, and I love these communities. I love the people so much. So I'll be at Wild Lotus the second weekend in June, and um, I will be offering a skill in action workshop there as well, and finding refuge based again on my book, where we'll move through some practices meant to support us in healing. So these are coming up. I'd love for you to join me. I will include information about these in the show notes. And for now, enjoy the episode. Thank you for being here. Welcome. I'm here with Tristan Katz today. And Tristan, thank you so much for being willing to be in the space and hold this conversation for this final episode of season one of Finding Refuge. I'm sure folks listening may have noticed that I have not put out an episode in like almost a month, or it's been over a month, I think. Keisha Battles was the last episode and that came out on April 15th. And with the podcast and social media, I've been feeling quieter. And and I think in part because of my work and role in the world and the wellness industry and healing industry, I feel like sometimes there's pressure for me to say things. And I don't exactly know what to say because I'm processing what's going on. 
and it can take me time to process as well, right? And then go outward. So I think that's what was what's been happening for me. And that we're also in a transition. So I think that's part of it too. And I'm happy to be here today. And I actually recorded another, an episode where I was just talking and I didn't like it at all. And then Tristan and I, we met yesterday and talked about this, this podcast and the final episode. And Tristan so generously offered to hold the space because I think I need some help with this. And I also think it's more of my style to be in in conversation and relational than speaking into a microphone. (laughs) Not seeing anyone there. So that's how we got here. And Tristan, I'm super excited you're here. And many of you know Tristan. Tristan, we've been working together, I think, for two almost two years. That's right. And building a friendship and we're comrades. And Tristan is my thought partner and and dear friend. I'm gonna call you that because this is how I feel about you. And Tristan is doing amazing work in the world. So I'm glad they're here with me today. Thank you, Michelle. It's really an honor to be here. I'll just say briefly, my name is Tristan. I use they, them pronouns. And as Michelle mentioned, I've been supporting her over the last couple of years with with all the things in her work, watching her work grow. And I also help folks, yoga and wellness professionals with business and marketing work. And I do equity inclusion facilitation through the lens of trans inclusion, trans advocacy, trans liberation, whatever we might want to call that. And my work is continuing to grow and evolve. And I just wanted to give folks a little bit of information about my background since I have, I was on the podcast briefly when Lauren and I interviewed you for our mm-hmm. podcast and you and I actually, I was realizing this morning, we had a conversation at the very beginning of COVID talking about COVID and grief. And it feels interesting to come into this moment now with you a, a year and a half later, where we're in the kind of limbo where COVID isn't over. And yet a lot of us are feeling some shifts around what it looks like uh, and what quarantine measures look like. So anyways, all of that to say, it's really joy and pleasure and honor to be here and hold the space for the conversation as much as I can. Um, I would love to hear, Michelle, if you could talk about what you're feeling or witnessing in students in the in the energetic field, whatever that might look like for you, what you're observing collectively around this moment relating to COVID. And specifically, since Finding Refuge is so much about holding holding our grief and actually tending to our grief. If you could talk about what you're witnessing or feeling relating to grief in this moment as well, I would love to hear that too. Yeah. Thank you, Tristan. I was thinking about this last night. I knew we were going to have this conversation today and part of me, I am joyful that things are shifting and so I can witness that. And I'm also worried and concerned that people have gone back to normal, whatever that is. I don't, I don't know what that is. From what I'm witnessing, people seem to be doing the things they were doing prior to COVID, which makes sense to me. People want to be back, myself included, in like a routine and seeing people, right, physically, not just over Zoom. And and I want to go out and eat out and things like that. So I've been witnessing that. And I'm worried that we are bypassing what we've just been through. Like We have been socially isolating for many of us for a year and a half and have There's been like political upheaval as we have been socially isolating and trying to reconfigure work and trying to figure out how we will connect. And we've lost so many people, like more people than I've ever lost in in this lifetime. So I think there's an opportunity for us to process what we've been through. And I 
I think the tendency, what I've noticed is that people are bypassing either consciously or unconsciously. It may just be that people want to get back to what they were doing. I don't know how we can do that though, unless we honor where we've been. And I always say this about everything. Like we have to acknowledge where we've been, figure out how we got here and then figure out where we want to go. We have to move through it. And people are still dying from COVID and getting sick. And I'm just, I'm worried about the aftermath. Like, and we're still in it, but it's, it's different and not as intense, but we've all been through this experience of trauma and and having to be a different way. So joyful. And I'm also concerned and worried about this. And I also have been thinking a lot about finding refuge, the podcast and the book, which, which comes out July 13th. And I'm also, I've been thinking about skill in action because when I started talking about social justice and yoga, people were likely talking about that. I'm sure I didn't, wasn't in a relationship with them at that, at that point. And more and more people are talking about it now. When I first started talking about it, it wasn't popular. Like I'd have five people in my workshop, right? It wasn't, wasn't the center of, of the conversation around what needed to shift in the industry of yoga and wellness. And I feel the same way about finding refuge. Like people don't want to grieve. And I'm like, Hey y'all, we need to like come together and grieve. And we need to be in ceremony. We need to just like honor what's going on in our hearts. And I, I, it feels similar to like, this is going to build slowly because one, it's difficult to be with grief. And also in my experience, I've been conditioned not to honor it, acknowledge it, see it, feel it. And like people want to celebrate where we are. And so that's a little bit about what I've noticed and how I'm feeling. And I think there's dissonance because of the joy and, and seeing the transition and people feeling better and being better. And I just know we're going to create more trauma if we don't say like, we just went through something horrific <laughs> and that needs attention. And people are still dying and, 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 and also the United States and other right countries are having greater access, let's just say, though that's a loaded way to put it, to the vaccine at the expense of the global south, for instance. And what's going on in India is a really sign of, of that discrepancy of, of, of access. It's not the right mm-hmm. way to put it. But do you think that there's like a level of dissociation that goes on for us when we when we like move from one stage of collective trauma to a to because it to me it feels like we're just moving to another stage of collective trauma like Mm -hmm. when I have gotten together with a few of the other folks who I know who are fully vaccinated I feel it in my body I feel like I'm not supposed to get close to this person oh did I touch you is this safe like there's this hyper vigilance that's coming through me while I acclimate to this next this next stage right and so I'm wondering if what what's of some of what might be going on is is a level of dissociation and i wonder how that relates to our trauma and grief and the fact that we are still in the trauma and we are still in the grief but we're cutting ourselves off from acknowledging it or talking about it much like we don't acknowledge or collectively in terms of our culture a lot of other things that are actually mm-hmm. going on right yeah i this is a great question. There's a lot of things happening. The trash truck just went by and Jasper's barking. So welcome to the podcast, y'all. The world is turning. (laughs) Life is happening. That's what's going on. I think I'm curious about what we can hold. And what I mean is we 
as a collective, we had like never experienced a pandemic like COVID-19. Of course, we know there are other pandemics, but not a, a health crisis like COVID-19 and a global health crisis. And and I don't know that we actually have the the skills collectively to to hold what that has meant for us, if that makes sense. Like I'm thinking about the nervous system and what we've been asked to respond to in the past and how we all had to respond to this in some some way. People did it differently, but everyone's lives changed. Like that's true. And and that's true of other pandemics, but people feel it differently. And so I'm just wondering, is this about what we can hold or what we've we've learned to hold or what what our capacity is? Because maybe we don't even have the words or like skills to respond to this and say, this is collective grief and trauma. Like, and I think you're right. I, I went out last night to eat outside and I, I had not been out in forever. And I was completely like freaked out, even though we were outside and we wore masks inside when we went inside and we, and the mask restrictions have been lifted here, but still I'm wearing my wet mask inside places and I was like, how are people going to socialize and relate? Like I'm feeling a level of anxiety just by being out eating, which is something I would do normally, like a lot prior to COVID. And so I do think that's a level of trauma that people may not actually understand is going on. Like some of us may, because we're thinking about it, but like the culture hasn't created a, a space for us to have the conversation. It said, okay, COVID's over. Now let's feel better. That's how I'm experiencing it. I'm like, well, COVID's not over and we haven't healed. So <laughs> this is going to create more trauma. And I think about children, like children who went to school the last year, children who didn't go to school, children who were told to wear their masks, children who were told not to wear their masks. Like, what is this going to do to the generation that's coming up now? I just, I can't imagine what it, you know, Anna is in my life. This is my partner's daughter and she's almost 10. And I've been, she was homeschooled over the last year. And I've been thinking a lot about, she mainly socialized with adults over the last year. Like we were her friends, not people, children her age, right? Or people her age. And she wasn't in school in a regular routine and she had to wear a mask all of the time. What does that do to the psyche is what I'm wondering about. And that's going to create its own trauma. Like are children going to have OCD? Are they going to be concerned about connecting with people or touching people? Or And I don't want to catastrophize this, but we, it was like a catastrophe though. I'm not. <laughs> it, this is what happened. And so I'm just, I think, yes, we're dissociating because I'm not sure we have the capacity to respond. And, and if given the choice between like, I'm going to go celebrate and act like things are normal versus I'm going to sit with this trauma and talk about it like we are now. Most people are going to be like, I'm going to go act like this thing didn't happen. Yeah. And people like me are like, well, great. And hold up. It did. So, so let's be in it enough. It's not that I want people to sit around and grieve and be in that pain forever, but there was a lot of suffering and I want people to acknowledge that like the suffering, they experienced the suffering we experienced, which this culture is not dominant culture. Doesn't really condition us to be with suffering. It says yeah. avoid it, distract, capitalism, distract. This will make you feel better. Going to spend money will make you feel better. And I understand that's what's happening. And this is why I'm worried and just yeah. concerned. As you're talking, I'm, I'm feeling grief move through my body, particularly in relationship to in-person 
asana experiences, which yeah. I think, I mean, I, this, I've had many layers of grief throughout the last year and a half, but missing in-person yoga is like one of the key components of my grief. Like I've missed it so hard. My physical practice has not been what it was pre-COVID because I miss being and moving with other bodies in a room. And when I think about where we are and how it's not over, one of the clearer ways that I understand that for me is because I'm still not planning to go take a yoga class in person. Like it's Mm -hmm. still all on Zoom for me. I know people are teaching in person and wearing masks and limiting class sizes, but I'm not ready for that kind of experience yet because I still feel traumatized. And, and so to me, it's like, we're this whole, it's just such an odd moment. And it are, I feel like my brain wants to be either or with it. Like Mm -hmm. it's over. I'm vaccinated. I can go out to a restaurant and eat a meal. But the reality is I still don't know when I'm going to go practice yoga or when I'm going to go on a yoga retreat or what the next few months look like, what what the rest of the year looks like. So it's not over, right? As we're talking about. And I wonder if you can speak, because the other thing that's coming through me then is like, oh, white supremacy, here we are again, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like, white supremacy capitalism want us to, these systems want us to go back to normal, to forget, to disconnect from what we're experiencing. And we crave that as humans because being with the discomfort is so hard. I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit more, like specifically, and also considering like we've also witnessed in the last several months, a lot of violence that's rooted Mm -hmm. in white supremacy and Mm -hmm. And then it feels like the news cycle moves on to either more violence or something else. And we collectively stop talking about the names of folks who have been murdered, whose lives have been lost, just like we're doing with those who have been lost from COVID. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, I appreciate your, your thoughts and feelings in this question. And it's, it's May 21st today. So we're coming up on the anniversary of the murder George Floyd's murder, which is May 25th, which of course happened in the, in the beginning or sort of earlier um, phases of, of COVID and our experience with it. And I've been thinking about how many people seem to wake up in that moment. And I'm curious to know what happened. Like, where are the people that were so horrified and infuriated and activated. I'm sure they're in spaces and, and there are less folks showing up in, in the spaces I'm in. And I'll say, and be specific, less white bodied folks showing up for this, this work of dismantling white supremacy and, and dismantling oppression. And it's very similar. I mean, you name this to, to what's happening with with COVID, although that's a quite an old pattern, which I'm sure is tied to this pattern and how we're responding to COVID too, for something to happen. And then we deny it and forget or pretend it didn't. And then it happens again. And we go through this cycle. When George Floyd was murdered, it seemed like perhaps because of COVID and the way our nervous systems had been reconfigured, that that was witnessed in a, in a different way. I, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was, I didn't watch the video. I won't do that, but I saw an image back and it was, I just think there's something that happened in that moment that like shifted consciousness in a way that I had not experienced before. And we had not experienced. So we can continue these patterns of, of denial and forgetting and the cycle will repeat itself. 
So we have an opportunity to like show up and sustain our work and our practice and our presence to what's going on, or we can distract in the name of things having gone back to normal. So many people talked about how things were not what is normal. And for many people, they weren't having an experience of being able to go out to eat. They were an essential worker at the grocery store checking out my groceries, right? They weren't like, I have a ton of privilege related to that. They couldn't reconfigure their work to work on the computer and be on Zoom all the time. They didn't have a computer or a home or, right? It's like, that was some people's normal, but the normal we're going back to is like the normal connected to privilege. And, and even the capacity to like go back to, to normal. And I have feelings about it because I, I just, I think what feels important to me is, is being able to, I say this a lot, hold multiple truths, but like multiple experiences, like this is my normal and that's not everyone's normal. Right. And what does it look like to hold that? And then what does that call us into? So that was kind of a long answer or, and I think to your point, I think we are we have replicated the system of white supremacy in the wake of George Floyd's murder. People kept, black people kept being murdered yep. by the police. It didn't stop, but folks ability, this has to do with what I said earlier to hold what's happening. I think is we have to build that muscle. I just think we, when you know me, so, you know, I say this or we'll keep doing it. Like we'll just yeah. keep doing the same thing. I mean, as we're talking, I'm really reflecting on the way that the work of Finding Refuge and this book that is about to be available really complements and to me is almost like a, a tie-in to the work of skill in action. Like we can't do the work of skill in action, the, the work that is, we're invited to do through that lens without also tending to this other part of this process of holding the grief, of turning towards the grief, of finding ways to be with the grief individually and collectively. And you said folks aren't showing up and, and white, a lot of white folks aren't showing up in your, in your workshops like they were in summer of, of 2020. And we're also witnessing uh, less buzz and less attraction yeah. or interest in the new Finding Refuge offerings you're putting out into the world, which is ironic because we need that work now in a, mm -hmm. in a unique way. And yet, for whatever reason, for all the reasons we've been saying, and because Finding Refuge isn't as, quote, known as the as skill in action. I wonder if I was listening to Resma Menicum on a podcast, an old one, and he was saying that he... This isn't the change isn't going to happen in, in his lifetime, in our lifetime, mm -hmm. the, the dissolution of white supremacy, the dissolution of, of racism. It's going to happen nine generations from now. I wonder if you could talk to I, I wonder if you could talk to the fact that we have to do this work now in this moment, both for our tending to ourselves and what we're currently experiencing and we're, we're not going to see the change. Like it's it's hard for me to stay. I, I, I'm committed to questioning my biases and I'm committed to being in this practice. And every now and then I brush up against a sense of hopelessness. And I wonder if you could talk to hopelessness and the feeling of feeling like defeated and still staying engaged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Because this is familiar to me, this hope holding that and feeling despair is often how I talk about it or, or heartbreak. And one thing I do want to say is that I think Resma's right. And also I try to like, I think we are changing. And so while I might not see racism dismantled in this lifetime or 
will take nine generations for us to dismantle these systems, not just racism. I do see changes happening. Like, I mean, the, and I was talking about George Floyd. After that, the Confederate statues were like torn down and schools were being renamed. This could have happened like 40 years ago, but it was, or longer than that, right? And all of a sudden it was like, we need to tear down these things that are monuments to white supremacy, right? And so I, I think we are, in my experience, I am seeing the change and that's probably why I can hold on to hope because I need to know that we're changing to feel like we we can and we will continue to. And what I always say is that I'm in spaces with people like in this space with you now and in spaces with folks who want to be in these conversations, who want to do the work, who want to practice, who want to be honest about what is going on, who may be confused about what's going on, but are showing up anyway. And that gives me hope. If I did not have access to people who cared about similar things and the collective in the way I do, I think I would feel more despair. So it's really like community that I'm with and all the different spaces that are as upset as I am about what's going on and willing to reimagine what's possible. And I have so many comrades like that. And and that's what gives me hope. And just the small, like I can see we're, we're doing magic right now, right? Like this is part of the change. I'm not saying that to be an ego. I'm saying that because it's, it feels true. Like we're uplifting a conversation and we're also doing in community because when I tried to speak into the mic on my own, I was like, I don't know what to say. And then you were like, hey, can I help you? Right. That gives me hope too. like just witnessing that I can offer something in this moment. So there's like the micro, although that feels macro to me and the macro where I see this happen. So I, I agree with Resma and I also hold on to, to this reality that I see people changing all the time. And I, I'm trying to change too. I am changing. So that, that gives me hope as well. I'm, I think I have two more questions. <laughs> Thank you for asking questions. So good. My pleasure. <laughs> One so is better. One is a little, like, I don't know that I've heard you speak to this directly. And I mean, if you don't want to answer it now, please feel free to say that. But I feel inclined to ask if you consider yourself an abolitionist in this moment. Like when I think about the change that needs to happen in the United States, and I've been sitting with this over the last year and learning more about what the term means and understanding the difference between the call to defund the police and then the call to abolish the police and where both of these calls are coming from. And I'm just curious to hear your thoughts, if you'd be willing to share. It feels like such a radical thing to ask you. And so I'm just noting that, like, I, I'm noticing some discomfort on, on my part oh, in asking. Yeah. yeah. I think so. I love that you asked this question. I haven't thought about it very much because I haven't thought about myself as an abolitionist in, in that way, but in the like sort of energetic and, and spiritual and knowing there's something bigger than <laughs> what is happening. And I can like attend to what is happening and I'm, I'm offering tools that are about healing, you know, that kind of work as an abolitionist that feels resonant and obviously calling for systems to to shift and be dismantled and torn down. 
like I'm doing that, but I do it in these really interesting ways, which you're aware. I do it in the direct, like, this is what it means to dismantle these systems. And this is what it means to leverage your privilege. And this is what it means to get out of the way. And this system of policing was set up. They were, it came from slave patrols. Like, so the police have never had my interest. I'm not, I'm talking about the system. There may have been individual police people who have cared, but in general, the whole system has not. It was always to control black bodies. Like, that was the point. So I can call for that. And then I can be like, and sit in front of your altar and connect with your intuition and listen more deeply. Right. And, and remember our interconnectedness and connect with nature. That feels like abolitionist practice too. So I'll, I'm going to sit with him more, but that's my answer. Like, yes. in the way I just described, it's like a holistic way of like and look at the systemic and also the what's going on spiritually and emotionally and physically and mentally in the collective, what's happening energetically that I may not understand, but no, there's something there, like that kind of work and practice. Mm. Okay, that's a good tie-in for my my last question, which is I feel like I we have to close out by by inviting you to share how you're caring for yourself in this moment, how you're holding grief when it arises for you and what ways you're connecting with, with all of it. Right. Yeah. You know, what's interesting, what I've witnessed, this may have been true prior to COVID, but certainly throughout COVID, what has happened to me is I will be sitting often. I'll be watching a medical drama and I, I think it's my way of like, because someone's like dying in the hospital or someone's family, something's happening. And of course it was amplified over the last year and a half. And I think, and my mother was so sick. It wasn't like a medical drama on TV. There was, I went through that, like, right. As COVID was, we knew it was here. So, so I, I like watch these medical dramas and I will sob. And I like all of a sudden out of, out of nowhere. And I think Again, I think it's my way of being like, I, I connect with the emotion and the sadness and I know it's happening, but there's something about witnessing in that way that, that like allows me to feel not only my grief, but like all the grief. And then I'm like sobbing and asking why things are happening. And, but it's also a release. It's like, I think it's built up grief, not on purpose. It just may be my way of like releasing it that's one way I release it is like deep, deep, like whales and sobbing and, and, and these medical dramas seem to bring that on, but you know, who knows, but I think that's helpful that I know that because it's happened at least five times in that way. And, and at first when it happened, I was like, why am I crying like this? This is not, I'm fine. And I realized I was responding to all the grief because I'm highly sensitive. And, and I also know I hold space a lot for other people And so I think it's a big release because I've like been in space every night holding it for folks or every day. I, Jasper just barked. So I am spending time with my beloved furry being Jasper, who is so sweet and is so happy that I've been at home and does not want me to go anywhere ever again, unless he is with me. And I just got chickens a couple of weeks ago and they're hilarious. They like, they make me laugh and they're really smart and it's really fun to watch them and to be like, I go up to the coop and, or the run and like, they come up to me and we're having this exchange, right? We're in relationship. And I, I think that's cool to, 
be in relationship in that way and nurture them and watch them grow. And, and then I have bees as well, which are next to the chickens. So I'm watching them. I'm going to go in the hives today and I watch them all the time. And one hive sting, which is the, the oldest hive and thriving, you can hear them before you actually get to the hive. So I love that buzzing sound and the vibration. Their vibration is really strong and you can smell the honey at nighttime. It's really cool. Like you don't even have to be very close to the hive and you can smell the honey in the air. And so nature is, and remembering my relations as Francis Weller talked about finding refuge is how I'm taking care of myself and spending time with Charles, my partner and Anna, Anna June, who is my friend and she's very intuitive and we pull cards every time we're together. She wants to pull cards from a divination deck. And so we do pull cards and do magic. And she has an altar actually in this room I'm in right now. So these are the things I'm doing in addition to my like daily prayer, meditation, ancestor work that I do. So thanks for asking. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Do you Mm -hmm. want to say anything about looking back on finding refuge season one and looking forward to finding refuge season two? Yeah, I'm so season one, I'm very grateful for everyone who said yes to showing up because like, like finding refuge workshops or like the book, it's like I invited people to show up and talk about grief and resilience and how they were relating to the moment, which is medicine, but also takes people time to get used to this kind of medicine that I tend to offer. So I'm grateful. And I feel like I heard from a lot of different um, people and perspectives and identities and and more of that on, on season two will happen. And I'm excited to to interview a lot of a lot of folks. I know that I'm gonna interview Lama Rod Owens and my dear friend Shakira Bethay and Onika Mays and my friend Ashley Williams and several other other people. So I'm excited about hearing different voices in this space. And I've really enjoyed being in conversation. I was going to say interviewing, which it can feel like that, but being in conversation with folks and my background as a therapist, I think has helped me with that because I keep hearing like, oh, that's a good question. Or, oh, I didn't, you know, like I'm listening and I'm not always asking the same questions and I'm going where they go. And it's an intuitive process that's happening. And it's been fun because I'm not, I'm offering intuitive healing work and I'm not a therapist anymore. And so it, it's nice to, to be in space with folks in this intimate way and to, to be a guide and ask questions and have them discover things that they didn't, didn't know um, or remember about their experience or themselves. So that's been fun, which is why I'm so grateful. You said you offered to interview me today and be in conversation because I think things come out when I'm in conversation that don't, when I'm just like me saying, saying something that's powerful too, but it's different for me in the process. So thank you so much. It was my pleasure. I've gotten so much as I've shared with you out of the Finding Refuge podcast of the first season and have looked forward to every episode, have listened to every episode. And I know that it's really touching a lot of people, the way that you're holding these conversations and the folks that you're inviting in for them. And it's been a pleasure to join you for the last episode of season one. 
I know how sweet that this happened in this I know. way. I know. This is what we were waiting for. I think it was like, <laughs> even when I recorded the, the other one, I was like, I do not like this, but I'll put it out, but I don't like it. So we're not putting it out. We're going to put this out in the world. And thank you, Tristan. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to the final episode of season one of the Finding Refuge podcast. I am so honored to share space with you all. So at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned I have some upcoming offerings focused on finding refuge. Again, information about these offerings will be listed in the show notes. And you can pre-order Finding Refuge Heartwork for Healing Collective Grief. Yay. Y'all, I'm so excited about this book. I feel like it's, it's so much of what we need right now, and I cannot wait to share it with the world. So I'll include a link in the show notes to the pre-order page for Finding Refuge. If you want to check it out now, you can go to finding-refuge.com and you'll see a page where you can order the book. You can enter your order information, your order number, and the space, the place you ordered the book from. And you have access to some pre-order incentives, which include three asana and meditation practices, as well as a 40-day Finding Refuge Sadhana. Um, the Sadhana actually began earlier this month, but you can move through it. It's self-paced, um, so at your own pace. And I hope that you pre-order the book and cannot wait to be in conversation with you about it. I'll be back with season two with some amazing guests I mentioned in my conversation with Tristan. There are several other guests who will be joining me. I'm so very excited. Um, a few of the other guests who will be with me are Shannon Algio, Jeevana Heyman, and Alexis Pauling Gums, and many, many more. So stay tuned. Take care. Be well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. You can support Finding Refuge by sharing it with your friends, family members, and beloveds, and rating it on iTunes. You can support my work by becoming a patron on Patreon. My name on Patreon is Skill in Action. Thank you so much, and take care, friends.